So um, I'm going to start off by talking about this word. I think I've talked about it before, but it is the word woke. Oh, I don't know if you heard that, but Heather just, Heather's just laughed. <laughs> it's the word woke. Uh, and uh, if, you, if you're unfamiliar with what uh, the word means, according to Urban Dictionary, my go-to dictionary for words like this, <laughs> it means alert to injustice in society, especially racism. Okay, so that's what it means to be woke. It means to be alert to injustice in society, especially racism. But it seems to me today that everyone has their own version of woke. Right, so rather than to be limited to kind of that particular definition, I think many people use the word in the colloquial just as kind of, it means I am aware of something and you're not aware of it. Right? And so for some people, that might be racism. For others, it can be like wealth inequality or gender inequality or climate change or, you know, maybe the government overstepping their bounds. Like that's why a bunch of people are in Huntington Beach, uh, you know, protesting the quarantine and things like that. And I think in, in, all, in all this stuff, like my intention isn't to, to judge any of these groups, whether or not I agree with them. I get what motivates this kind of thought and action. I get the idea of feeling a sense of, whether it's fear or anxiety or anger, there is just this sense that something's not right in the world. And that's kind of what motivates these, these thoughts and these actions. Now, my purpose here is merely to point out that whatever you think is woke, and within Christian circles, there are plenty of, I would say, even theological issues that people would consider to be you're on the woke side or the unwoke side of. Whatever you think woke is speaks to what you think the most central problem and solution in the world is. Because the way that you talk about it, if, if you've ever heard somebody talk about one of these issues in this kind of sense, using this kind of terminology, it tends to be like, don't you get it? Like, don't you see what's happening? Wake up. You're missing it. This is the main thing. And how can you not see it? How can you not get it? Again, I'm not going to say that that is right or wrong per se. My question is, is that the kind of woke that we most need? Right now, I'm going to say woke one more time, <laughs> and then I won't say it again for the rest of the sermon, I promise. But I believe, my belief, and, and what we will try to kind of illuminate today, is that we need to be awakened more than we need to be woke. That was the last one. No, no more. Okay, so if you're just joining us, we've been in a series uh, talking about the purpose of suffering. What is the purpose of suffering? What is God's purpose in suffering as we are in it? As we are kind of in this prolonged season of suffering, it seems that it would help us uh, to discover what is God's purpose in these things. And we've talked about a couple things the past um, couple weeks. First, we talked about how suffering leads us to repentance. You know, it, it kind of illuminates the horror, the danger of sin, leads us to Christ. 
Last week we talked about how it disciplines us for holiness, that uh, suffering from God is to, to be considered discipline, not punishment. It is not because he hates us or because, you know, it's something we deserve that causes us this suffering, but it's because God wants to build these habits of holiness, righteousness in us, and often suffering is a necessary component of that. Um, today we're going to talk about awakening, how suffering leads us to awakening. What is that awakening? How should we respond to it? That's what we're going to talk about today. And so if you guys have your Bibles, let's go ahead and open them up to uh, Matthew chapter 24. Matthew chapter 24, verses 7 to 8. Um, we're going to look at several passages today. We will get to, um, you know, the, the main passage for today and also some other passages eventually. But we're going to start here. Matthew chapter 24, verses uh, 7 to 8. And this is uh, God's word, and it says, For nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are but the beginning of the birth pains. All these are but the beginning of the birth pains. Now, I'm going to state kind of uh, this the idea in terms of the purpose of suffering for today. Uh, suffering in general, and I would say disasters, you know, disasters like the coronavirus in particular, are meant to awaken us to the reality of the return of Christ. So suffering in general, I would say both suffering in general and disasters in particular, so more grand things like famines, like earthquakes, like hurricanes, you know, like tsunamis, like when these bigger things happen, like pandemics, like the one that we're in right now, are meant to awaken us to the reality of the return of Christ. Now, in this passage, when Jesus is talking about his return, and he's talking about the end times, and he brings up that there will be these signs and some of these signs will be that nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. And there will be famines and there will be earthquakes in various places. And these are birth pains. Birth pains. So they are pains. They are sufferings that are a sign of something that is to come. When someone, when a woman in labor has birth pains, we know that that is associated with birth. Right? When a pregnant woman is having, going into labor and having birth pains, that means there is an impending birth. Something is about to happen. And the way that these sufferings are birth pains, they are signs that essentially the world is about to give birth to the new world, that Jesus is going to come back and create a new world. Um, we have this again from Romans, Romans 8. And this is a passage I think we've looked at a couple times now in this series, but, or in the, in the past, since the coronavirus started. But it's one that we probably will need to go back to, um, you know, before this is all over. But Romans eight twenty two to 23, it says, For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And this is talking about Really, any, like all the groanings of this age, the miseries, the suffering, the disaster, the disease, that these are all birth pains, that all of creation goes through that. And then verse 23, and not only the creation, but we ourselves, 
who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. So it's all the groanings of this age. And then there's, of course, the idea that we ourselves, because our bodies are subject to sin, to the fall, that our bodies are decaying. Remember I talked about that a few weeks ago. And that we groan like we want this coming of Jesus where we will find the redemption of our bodies. Suffering is meant to awaken us to the reality of Jesus' return. It's meant to kind of like when a woman in labor has a birth, has a, you know, labor pain, like they go into labor and there's some kind of pain, they know that that's a sign that something's happening, something's coming. It's like, and then all of a sudden stuff happens. Right? You're like, okay, we got to get, get ready. We got to go to the hospital. This is what's going to happen. The baby's coming. That's what suffering is meant to awaken us to. Now, I don't know about you, okay, but um, in light of this pandemic, I have been gaining some weight. The camera adds 10 pounds of this. I don't, I, I don't, I don't look that. makes me look bigger. But I have, been, I have been eating. And the thing is, and this is, this is not, I'm just, I'm just saying, it's not, it's not good or bad, honestly. I don't really, it's fine. It's a pandemic, okay, but... Because um, kind of a, for lack of things to do, like like I want to do stuff, but then I can't do anything, and then I'll just like snack, and uh, I can't help it, right? And so, and from time to time, I will find like like I'll fall into food coma. Now you guys know, you know, quote unquote food coma. Now you guys, I'm sure you know what that is. Um, I always find it interesting that the terminology we use to describe what happens to our bodies when we eat too much food is to call it a coma. But that is kind of what happens, isn't it, right? Like you eat a lot of food, more than you need, before you know it. And what actually happens scientifically is that um, basically there's too, the blood is shunted to the stomach and the gut so to digest. And so the blood kind of escapes other parts of, you know, you don't have as much blood, essentially, in other parts of your body flowing through other parts of your body. And so you're, you know, you get a little lightheaded, you become tired, and sometimes you just kind of fall asleep. Or how I am after dinner oftentimes is I'm in this kind of lethargic daze. Like if I eat too much, this is what happens. I'm just kind of in this daze. And the thing is, this is a little bit true of life. Not just us physically, but spiritually, emotionally, mentally, this is what happens. What happens if we kind of eat a lot frequently? If you do that, you live in kind of a perpetual food coma. You live in a daze. You live in a full but not satisfied, not truly satisfied, right? Like you're full but not truly satisfied state of dullness. Now, hunger does the opposite. I was actually, so I was fasting the other day. And you know what happens when you fast, right? Like, you know what happens when you're hungry? You become, the opposite happens. You're not dull. Your senses are heightened. Right? You come, you're like Wolverine all of a sudden. You can smell food a mile away. I could smell food a mile away and I could tell you the ingredients. Like, that's what happens when you're hungry. And you don't just kind of, you know, you're not just slowly dazed and wandering. You're, you're sharpened. 
Ease dulls us and suffering awakens us. When you live at ease all the time, if you only do things that are comfortable and your life is only comfortable, then you will slowly forget that Jesus is ever coming back. That won't be on your mind. You won't be thinking about that. You'll be thinking about everything in this life. You'll be thinking about your job and your car and your house and just kind of what's the next thing in this life as if this life is all there is to life. And what the Bible tells us is when the suffering happens, particularly when the disasters happen, when, when something that is completely out of your power happens, like an earthquake or a hurricane or famine or coronavirus, then you live with this heightened awareness. It is meant, in fact, to point us to that question, is Jesus coming back? Like when, when somebody asks, when, when something like this happens, when there's a big earthquake, there's a tsunami, when there's 9-11, you know, when like things happen and somebody says, do you think Jesus is coming back? And if you're in the state where you think, that's dumb, that's a dumb question, don't ask that, then you're not doing with the Bible, you're not taking disaster the way that the Bible, the way that Jesus says disaster is meant to be taken. It is in fact meant to be taken for you to ask the question, is Jesus coming back? When's Jesus coming back? He must be coming back soon. That is one of the purposes of suffering. To point us to that question. To get us to wake up and think about that. Now, once that question has come to us, how should we respond to it? Well, let's turn to Mark. And we'll talk about a couple things here, but Mark 13 Mark 13, we'll start in verse 28. We'll read all the way through verse 37. This is Mark 13, 28 to 31, and then we'll read through 37. From the fig tree, learn its lesson. As soon as its branch becomes tender and puts out its leaves, you know that summer is near. So also when you see th these things taking place, you know that he is near at the very gates. Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. Verse 32. But concerning that day or that hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Be on guard, keep awake, for you do not know when the time will come. It is like a man going on a journey when he leaves home and puts his servants in charge, each with his work, and commands the doorkeeper to stay awake. Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know when the master of the house will come, in the evening, or at midnight, or when the cock crows, or in the morning, lest he come suddenly and find you asleep. And what I say to you, I say to all, stay awake. Now, how should we respond to being awakened to the reality of the return of Jesus? Here's response number one. We'll, we'll do a couple here, but response number one, urgency. If the coronavirus should be a reminder for us that Jesus is coming back sooner. Now, Jesus is always coming back sooner. He's coming back sooner today than he was yesterday, right? Because a day has passed. So he's coming back sooner. Now, that's always, that's always the case. The thing is, we don't usually think about that until something happens, 
when something happens, then we remember, oh yeah, it is sooner. He is going to come back sooner. And if we are reminded that he's going to come back sooner, then logically, as a result of that, we should live with greater urgency. Now, what's the point in the passage? Is Jesus saying you should try to figure out when I'm coming back? Now, many people have spilled a lot of ink trying to figure that out. And many people have incorrectly predicted that he would come back on a particular date. That has happened many times. I remember many times it's happened even in my life. There were a bunch of people on TV. I remember mostly the ones that the Koreans believed in because my parents are Korean. And then I would see, I mean, I'm Korean, obviously, also. But, <laughs> you know, they would watch, like, the Korean news. And then there would be on the Korean news that these people have sold all of their possessions. And, you know, they're waiting for Jesus to come back. You know, and these were mostly like cults or whatever. It's these false prophets, false messiahs, people who would tell these other people to sell all their possessions, to get ready, and they would just be standing out somewhere in the middle of nowhere, some parking lot or something, waiting for Jesus to come back. And obviously he did not come back. Now, I don't think that's the point for a couple reasons. One is... One, I would say, outside of the text, just that we can, we can infer, is why would Jesus want us to know the exact date of him coming back? If Jesus said, I'm coming back in 2025, you know, January 15th, 2025, are you going to live urgently from now till 2025? No, you're not. You're going to try to get your stuff together in like late 2024. That's what you're going to do. Right now, to, 20, to the end of 2024, you're just going to do whatever. You're going to live your life. And in fact, you might try to do other things. You might be like, I have to definitely, you know, get married before 2024. Like, you're going to start to think of other things and be like, oh, this has to happen before 2024. You're going to have the wrong mentality. Right? We can just infer that. Now, in the text itself, however... The 32, verse 32 right there says, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son. The Son is Jesus. Jesus is saying, I don't know the day or the hour. Now, this presents an entire problem in and of itself, and all, there's, there's so many problems, you know, little issues in this text that we could get into Unfortunately, we don't have time here to get into all of it. What I will say in terms of why Jesus does not know is because he's in his humanity. Now, in his humanity, Jesus was 100% God, 100% man, but in his humanity, there were things he did not know. In fact, you know, in the Gospels, it says he grew in knowledge. You can only grow in knowledge if there's things you don't know. So God is giving him, uh, you know, essentially, and this is something we should understand about Jesus— his entire ministry, he's relying on God the Father and the Spirit, right? He's not just, like, accessing his, his godness whenever he wants. He is, he prays, like, if you look at his ministry, one, there's the baptism where he receives the Spirit, right? And then there is kind of, he prays to the Father. He asks, every time he's doing these miracles, he prays to the Father, now, of course, there's a transfiguration. Like, there are these glimpses of his divinity that come out. But in his humanity, he does not know. Now, the question, though, is, because there are obviously things, he does have this knowledge, and God gives him knowledge of certain events. Why, you know, God the Father gives him this knowledge. Why 
is this knowledge withheld from Jesus at this moment? Why does he not know in this moment when he is talking here in Mark 13? That's the question. And I would say that the answer is so that we, in reading this, would not try to figure out the date. You can't infer the date from what Jesus is saying if he's saying he doesn't even know the date when he's delivering the information. So he's saying this, these are the signs, right? Like Jesus isn't, so he's not dropping clues here, right, about some certain date, right? This isn't like Code Breakers, you know, Rapture Edition. It's not like that. He's not trying to do something clever here. He's just saying there are going to be these signs, these general things. There is a general suffering, and then there are particular things that will happen and particular disasters, but this isn't for you to discern the date. It's so that you will live urgently knowing that you are in the last age before the return of Jesus. That you'll live every day urgently. Now my question is, are you living urgently for Christ? Are you living urgently for Christ? Like, which of these more describes the way that you live? Do you live urgently for Christ, or do you live casually for Christ? Do you live like, man, Jesus could really come back at any time. He's like the master on the journey. I have no idea when he's going to come back. He could come back in 2025. He could come back in 2021. He could come back tomorrow. He could come back in 2050. I don't know. But the point is, for me, I want to live urgent. I want to stay awake. I want to be alert. So Jesus' point here is live your life knowing I'm coming back soon. And that's not meant to be like uh, he's looking over my shoulders watching everything I'm doing kind of thing. It's meant to be so that you understand like you have the sense of purpose, an urgent sense of purpose in your heart. Like, because why doesn't Jesus just come? If he said he was near 2,000 years ago, his return was near, and that's kind of, you know, the, the New Testament writers post Jesus' resurrection, right? Like Paul, like when they write about the return of Jesus, they always make it seem very imminent, now, if that was the case, why hasn't Jesus come back yet? Well, let's look at 2 Peter 3. 2 Peter 3, 8-10 says, But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. See, God's not slow. God is patient. Do not waste God's patient mercy. And I would say this, one, if you are unsure of where you stand before God, know that this is a sign for you where God is saying, hey, like I want 
to be in relationship with you. Like, I want to offer you this grace and this life. He is being patient, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. And let me say this, for those of us who are believers, and you know, you know where you stand. If Jesus were to come back today, you know where you'd be. Do not waste this time. Your whole life, all of our lives are just a season. One short season from birth to death. That's one season of your life. And it will be the shortest season. Because when we live with Christ in eternity, that will be for eternity. It will be infinitely longer than the season that we're living in now. Do not waste this season. But live urgently. Do not waste God's patience. But live urgently that all should reach repentance. So that's response number one. It's being awakened to the reality of Christ's return should cause us to live urgently for him. And here's response number two. Response number two is sobriety. Sobriety. Okay, let's look at 1 Peter. 1 Peter 4, 7. It says, The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Be self-controlled and sober-minded. So Peter writes, the end of all things is at hand. So again, the end is imminent because we are living the last age before the return of Christ. And he says, therefore, in light of that, be self-controlled and sober-minded. Now, these ideas, to be self-controlled, to be clear-minded, uh, contrast with a drunken state in, one, in which one lacks self-control. It's kind of the opposite of sobriety. Right? It is to be in this kind of drunken frenzy, almost like uh, just doing whatever, not being clear-minded. Not having a plan or a purpose, just kind of living day to day, whatever comes, who cares? And sometimes when I look at our world, I think that's kind of what I see out there. We're a little bit like ADD. I remember I read this story, uh, it was like the end of last year, November 16th. Uh, these two teenage girls, 16 year old girls, they were uh, driving in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and they crashed their car. Okay, they flipped over their car twice, and um, the windshield was crashed. You know, it was like cracked, and obviously they're in, they're just, it's crazy, right? It's kind of a crazy moment. I've had some crazy accidents in my life. For those of, for those of you who know me, you know. And, um, you know, when you're in a car accident, you're just in like a, you know, I'm sure, I'm sure almost everyone out there has been in a car accident. You kind of know you're, you're, you're shaking a little bit. All of a sudden, you just, you don't know what's going on. You're a little bit, you know, you're scared. You're thinking about things. And um, these two teenage girls, what they thought they should do was to post a TikTok. And so they uploaded a video to TikTok. And... This video went viral, 
It had 1.6 million views. And later, one of, I think, the police officer asked one of the girls, uh, why did you do the video, <laughs> the TikTok video? And she said, while we were sitting there waiting for the police to come, for some reason, my mind was like, I should make a TikTok. Why not? I have nothing better to do. I picked the first song and made a random TikTok. Later, she said, that was the first thing that came to mind to do that. It was really scary, but we decided, let's do this to get our mind off of it. And honestly, it helped a lot. Now, you know, I'm not going to, this is like two teenage girls, right? I'm not, I'm not going to judge them. But what I'll say is, it is kind of indicative of the age that we live in, that the first thing she thought to cope with her stress of kind of a traumatic moment was to post something to TikTok. Now, to me, that's not, that doesn't seem super sober, right? That doesn't seem like the, the wisest idea. But that's kind of the age that we live in. I mean, she got 1.6 million views out of it. Also saying something about what we consume, what we think is interesting and entertaining. Even if many of those people probably watched the video because they're like, I can't believe this girl did this. But then she got 1.6 million views. Today, it's all about COVID, right? That's, that's what people are concerned about. Uh, jobs, our lives, the virus and its spread. There is certainly a rationality on both sides. Um, what I will say is, urgent does not mean irrational. As believers living in the last age, we should be committed to living urgent lives, not to get caught up in urgent moments. The purpose of our lives is not to be urgent moment to moment. It is to live with a sense of urgency, knowing that Christ is coming back. But rather to be irrational, rather than to be irrational in our urgency, we should be the opposite. We should be hyper-rational. Right, you know, like, there's those disaster movies. And, you know, in a disaster movie, whatever it is, like a blizzard, there's an asteroid coming. People are trapped in something, trapped in a plane, you're trapped in a submarine, whatever, right? Oxygen's running out, the bomb is ticking down, you know, something. There are these moments, right? And then there's always those people who, like, panic, and they make it worse, right? There's only so much oxygen, and then these people, they somehow, you know, they create some hole somewhere, and then they're losing more oxygen, Right? The plane's going down faster. All of a sudden, they, they do something and the bomb's ticking faster, right? There's always those people. That's not the kind of urgency that we're supposed to live in. Like, panicked. Just like, oh my gosh, Jesus is coming back. What should we do? We just got to be crazy. Because there's always the protagonist. And do you know what the protagonist does in one of these movies and really any crisis situation? They're calm. Right? They become focused. Like hyper-rational, right? Like the, you know, the Iron Man of, or the James Bond or something. Like what do they do? They figure it out. They get very focused. So rather than to live every moment as though the end were imminent, we should plan to live our entire lives as a season of longing for the return of Christ. That's what our whole lives are meant to be. Plan your whole life in light of the fact that the end of all things is near. Because there's always going to be an urgent matter of the moment. 
right? Right now it's coronavirus. Tomorrow it will be your job. It will be your business. It will be your spouse. It will be your kids. It will be your house. It will be your investments. It will be your legacy. There will always be something that you will feel is urgent. There are no shortage of urgent matters. Urgent matters attack us every single day. But we should instead always recognize the most urgent and important matters in this season that we call life do not change. They are certainly shaped and formed by our circumstances, but the gospel is what the entirety of life is about. See, the facts that matter are these, that Jesus came to this earth, that he lived a perfect life, a perfect life perfectly righteous life, a perfectly holy life, and that he died, he suffered and died in our place, the death we deserved. That he was buried, that he rose again from the dead, that he was resurrected, that he conquered sin and death, that if we put our faith and trust in him, we can have eternal life. And that he is coming back to right all wrongs to make right all injustices, to dry all tears, to take away all pain and all shame, to remake heaven and earth, that everything will be new in him. That is going to happen. This time is an opportunity to urgently and soberly build our lives around those truths. Now, one thing, one application, one thing I'll say just in closing here. Because the passage points to it. You know, in Peter, he says, for the sake of your prayers. What does that mean, for the sake of your prayers? Uh, The knowledge that Peter's readers live in the final stage of God's redemptive plan should motivate neither a frantic self-gratification, which is what many people are drawn to, nor a lazy complacency, but rather an urgency in prayer. Here's one thing we can do right now. Because I know, and I'm feeling it. Like, I wish, I want to be out there doing stuff more, but it's hard. And the truth is, like, we need to take some time to just pray. Meditate, be in silence, be in solitude. And I think you'll recognize some things. I think you'll recognize that you're probably anxious right now which is completely understandable. I think you'll recognize that there's some grief going on, which is completely understandable. I think right now many of us feel like, why should I feel bad about anything when I know that there's other people out there going through stuff? But the truth is, if you were the only one going through coronavirus, then, of course, you would garner a ton of sympathy, right? Like, like people would feel bad for you, of course. If any one of us were the only one going through coronavirus, like you had to be quarantined in your house, and that's all you could ever do, and everybody else is out in the world doing whatever, but you're just stuck in your home, or you are the only one who lost your job, or you are the only one struggling financially, or you are the only one facing whatever effects, or you're sick and you're the only one who's sick. Of course, we would understand Like, we would be able to understand that it's okay to grieve, but I think many of us right now, because everyone's going through it, we just feel like, well, what is it, why does it do for me? Like, why should I ever think about 
myself or anything that I'm going through. And here's the thing. Spend time at Christ's feet, and you will find his sympathy. Like, you will find, what you'll find is not that Jesus is going to be like, what are you doing? Why aren't you living urgently? Like, he's going to comfort you. You're going to find the kind and gentle voice of Christ telling you that he understands your grief and your anxiety. And it is in light of finding that comfort and that joy in him that allows us to become urgent and sober in our thinking. To become urgent and sober in our living when we are able to come to Christ and just say, God, I need you. Like if anything, when, when we find something, some suffering or you know, in general, or some disaster in particular, and we are led to Christ. Maybe it's in fear. Maybe it's in grief. But you go to Christ and you say, Jesus, I need you. He will hear. He will answer. He will strengthen. He will bring us to the place where we are able to live, to respond urgently and soberly and remembering this isn't home. He's coming to take us home one day. This is a season of life that we must not waste for the sake of his glory. Let's pray together. Jesus, we thank you so much for the gospel. We thank you that you are good, that you are holy, that you are just, that you are gracious and that, you know, in you, God, even in the midst of crazy things, uh, we are able to find just a center, God, a rock that we can stand on. We know, Lord, that particularly in, in strange times like the time that we're in, we are more prone to uh, become either uh, frantic or indolent. God, we are more prone to become overreactive or underreactive, God. And really, I think those are Satan's plays. That's what he has for us right now. And we pray and we ask God that you would uh, awaken us. That you would help us to be awakened by the gospel. That you would help us to stay awake. Knowing that you're coming back, God. Uh, help us to respond urgently, help us to respond soberly. We really pray that, you know, this would be a time, a season of this season of life that we are able to be revived toward you and toward your cause, God. Uh, that is what we ask humbly. We entrust it to you, Holy Spirit. We thank you and we love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.